Since I like dinosaurs, everyone else did too. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. There is no denying that Texas is a vast place. From the piney woods of East Texas to the deserts of El Paso, from the beaches of the Gulf Coast to the plains of the Panhandle, Texas is a state that is bigger than England and France combined. But few realize that it is so big that you can go all over the world and never leave the Lone Star State. Within its pleasantly shaped border, you can find world capitals, ancient cities, and even entire nations. Or at least you can find their namesakes. But first, what's your favorite variety of Shiner beer? Well, I like many different types of beer, and uh, I've got many favorites just within the Shiner brand, but um, I'm going to pick my two favorites, which just so happen to be the last two birthday beers. Uh, for, for many years now, they've released a special uh, beer recipe to celebrate their birthday, and for their 107th birthday, they had a hoppy pilsner, which uh, kind of has a bit of extra hoppiness on top of a, a nice pilsner base. And then probably my favorite favorite is their 106th birthday chocolate stout, which to me tasted exactly like a chocolate birthday cake. Just very thick, very delicious. Look, I, I, I think uh, they've done an, a lovely uh, one with their prickly pear. The prickly pear. Mm, Pick yourself up pear. a sixer if you like. Good for some. Well, <laughs> my uh, the one I like. You, you can't go wrong with this the, the classic Shiner Bach. But uh, they recently came out with the Shiner Premium, which is actually a uh, recreation of the original beer that Spetzel the Spetzel Brewery made back in the early part of the 20th century. And it's a uh, it's more of a light pilsner type beer, but it's delicious. So drink up, and we'll start telling you about Texas history. First, let's go to the City of Lights, Paris, Texas, that is. In 1997, it was named the best small town in Texas. Let's start with the seat of Lamar County. Situated on the western edge of the Piney Woods and about 100 miles northeast of Dallas, Paris, Texas, was incorporated on February 3, 1845, by the Congress of the Republic of Texas. Several other towns had previously served as the Lamar County seat, but in 1841, 40 acres of land were donated by John Watson for just that purpose. A town was plotted out, but no lots were ever sold, and the town actually never came into being. In 1842, the Texas Congress passed a law that required every county seat to be located within five miles of the geographic center of that county. Mount Vernon fit the bill in Lamar and was made the seat in 1843, but a courthouse was never built. The following year, George Wright donated 50 acres to the county with the contingency that the land be turned into a new county seat. The county commissioners accepted that deal, and the new town was named Paris. County court was first held there on April 29, 1844. Paris was situated on the Central National Road of the Republic of Texas, which started in San Antonio and then crossed the Red River. In 1877, 1896, and 1916, Paris suffered major fires. The one in 1916 was so severe that it destroyed almost half the town, including the federal building and the post office, the county courthouse, the jail, city hall, 
most of the commercial buildings and several churches. Uh, the fire burned from around 5 p.m. on March 21st and wasn't brought under the control until the morning of the 22nd. Now, fighting the blaze required the efforts of firefighters from surrounding Texas City and even from Hugo, Oklahoma. They crossed the Red River to fight the fire. The flames were visible up to 40 miles away. Of course, what would Paris be without the Eiffel Tower? In 1993, the Boilermakers 902 Labor Union built a 65-foot replica of the original Eiffel Tower in downtown Paris, Texas. That same year, a replica was built in Paris, Tennessee that was only 60 feet tall. The Tennessee Tower was moved in 1998 and expanded to 70 feet. Paris, Texas had made the claim of being, quote, the second largest Paris in the world. So in 1998, town boosters added a large red cowboy hat to the top of their tower to make it taller than the tower in Tennessee. In 1999, both of these Parises were competing for second when Las Vegas put up a 540-foot-tall replica of their own. Almost eight times taller than either of the others, it's still only about half as tall as the original in France. Well, you know, they have a hotel and gambling in there, so yeah, we just have a hat on ours. <laughs> Giant a, red cow. Put a hat on it. Yeah. It's Wait. perfect. <laughs> You've got the largest pecan. We'll make it another bigger pecan. That's Texas. Uh, in 1924, Paris Junior College was established and is one of the oldest junior colleges in Texas. By 1990, it had 20 buildings and offered both technical and academic instruction. Though Paris, France might be known for the finer things in life, Paris Junior College has a jewelry technologies department that's internationally recognized as one of the premier jewelry schools in the world. The Paris Junior College Dragon Men basketball team won the NJCAA National Championship in 2005. The college continues to grow with a new women's dormitory opened in 2012 and a multi-million dollar science and mathematics building in 2013. There's three campuses now, and the main one has subsidiaries in Sulphur Springs and in Greenville. The enrollment is just over 5,000 students. Not bad for little old Paris, Texas. Say, Mike, you've been to Moscow? Let's go to Moscow. Moscow, Russia? No, Moscow, Texas. Oh, you got me again, John. Uh, so Moscow, Texas began with just two settlers, David and Matilda Green, in 1840. In 1847, David submitted an application to get a post office placed in his growing community and, logically enough, requested the name Greenville. The name was rejected by the postal authorities because there's already a city in Texas named Greenville. It wasn't until 1853 that the official name of Moscow was assigned, though exactly how this name was chosen remains a mystery. It's not mystery to me. <laughs> Moscow quickly became a farming center and incorporated officially in 1856. It had several cotton gins and sawmills. The railroad came to Moscow in 1880, and a second line was added in 1899 with a streetcar going from downtown to the train depot. Also in 1880, Moscow was the second largest town in Polk County with a population of 228. In 1885, a newspaper, the East Texas Pinery, began weekly publication. Moscow, along with dozens of other communities in East Texas, suffered a sharp decline as the pine forests that surrounded them and formed a major part of the economy were over-harvested. Only the construction of Highway 59 through its center kept Moscow from becoming a ghost town like so many others in the piney woods. 
I thought I saw a dinosaur, read one of the signs on this highway that welcomes visitors to Moscow. An odd statement for an East Texas town, until you know it's talking about dinosaur gardens. The brainchild of a retired carpenter named Donald Bean, Dinosaur Gardens was a plot of East Texas woodlands with 11 life-size fiberglass dinosaur replicas scattered along a short hiking trail. The idea for Dinosaur Gardens came to Bean when he drove by a similar park in Oregon in the late 1950s. Soon as I saw that, I said, that's what I want to do. So I did it. When he saved up about $100,000, he purchased the plot of land and the dinosaurs that became Dinosaur Gardens. These replicas were created by Bert Holster, who had previously specialized in more modern animals like Brahma bulls um, for businesses and high school mascots. Now, Holster built the dinosaurs out of fiberglass, chicken wire, urethane, and plaster. The combination for any good dinosaur. (laughs) He trucked these things in one by one, and the attraction opened in 1981. The largest of the dinosaurs was a 40-foot-long Elasmosaurus that is placed, appropriately enough, in a swampy mud hole. The heaviest one is a 3,000-pound Triceratops. Now, Donald had dropped out of school after the 8th grade, but was fascinated by and studied dinosaurs for decades, and each of the displays included an educational description that he had written himself. These descriptions invariably reflected his own folksy relationship with the subject at hand. For example, the sign near the Dimetrodon read, He had a large skull and jaws, and his teeth were dagger points as sharp as knife points. He skipped the vegetables and concentrated on the raw meat. Scientists are not certain about the strange sail on his back. Their best guess is that it is a natural air conditioner. A necessity for living in Texas, of course. Dinosaur Gardens was definitely a labor of love, and Bean didn't make his fortune off the roadside attraction. In fact, his wife had to come out of retirement to support them in some of its later years. Despite the insistent homemade signs and the 19-foot-tall Allosaurus welcoming visitors from the roadside, there were days in the autumn and winter months when Dinosaur Gardens didn't have a single visitor, and it was completely closed in January and February. Though Bean might not have expected to become rich off his project, it's clear that he was a little baffled that it wasn't more successful. It's a lot harder nowadays to make something like this work when you have to compete with places like Astroworld or Six Flags Over Texas, Mr. Bean said. I didn't realize this was as risky as it is. I might have been a little naive. I thought, since I like dinosaurs, everyone else did too. With his experience in the field of roadside entertainment, Mr. Bean had some simple advice for those contemplating their own attraction. You better think it over real careful. (laughs) Sadly, Mr. Bean is no longer with us. After his death, Moscow's Dinosaur Gardens closed down, and the dinosaurs were moved to Granbury, Texas, near Dinosaur Valley State Park, where they graced the grounds of a bed and breakfast called Dinosaur Trail Cabins and Cottages. (laughs) And and the Allosaur... Is not an accurate dinosaur. <laughs> it's big. It was a different time. It's a yes. different. 1981 was a different time, Sean. Yes. Well, how about the cradle of civilization, Athens? Athens. Texas, that is. Athens, Texas. Opa! Hey! Opa! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. Well, the county seat of Henderson County. In the pine woods of East Texas is Athens, and it's a city of approximately 13,000 people. Now, one might think that a Texas town was named after the famous Greek city, but it was actually named after Athens, Alabama, which is the hometown of one of that location's earliest settlers. Now, 
No one knows quite where Athens, Alabama got their name. We, but we, can, we can guess. You could probably guess, yes. Opa, some Greek. Hey, no. Somebody probably reading Plato or something. Well, Athens, Texas is proud of its heritage as one of Texas's oldest cities and is nationally acknowledged, although disputed, as the home of the original hamburger. Um, it is claimed that the hamburger was invented uh, in Athens, Texas, uh, as well as a million other places in the United States. Um, they also claim to be the black-eyed pea capital of the world, and no one else claims that. Um, it's the home of the <laughs> annual... <laughs> I sure do like them cow peas. Yeah. It is the home of the annual Texas Fiddlers Contest and Reunion, which is the oldest fiddling event in the United States. Um, now, with this love of things of the past and old-timiness, it's no surprise that it is named one of the first certified retirement communities in Texas. And let me just talk about Athens, because my wife and I uh, sometimes drive that way when we go down to Orange uh, in southeast Texas. And before we had kids, we tried to stop and find an Athens hamburger. We could not find a place to get an Athens hamburger other than like a Texas burger or a Dairy Queen. Um, so I was very disappointed in Athens for not having a place yeah. that had a giant hamburger out front saying, we are the home of the hamburger. You have think they'd be prouder of that. Yeah, plenty, plenty of black-eyed peas and old people but and fiddlers <laughs> running around, but no hamburgers. <laughs> All right. Not even a water burger. <laughs> now, let's move on from the capitals of countries, and let's visit a country itself. Italy. Yes, as all Texans know, the correct pronunciation of I-T-A-L-Y is Italy. It's located in North Texas in Ellis County, just uh, south of the Dallas area. Italy was founded in 1879 by the Acock brothers. They built a house that was used as a residence, grocery store, and post office. The citizens originally wanted to name the town Houston Creek since Sam Houston once allegedly camped on the creek that ran through town. The Postal Department turned down this name because there was already a Houston Creek. <laughs> the postmaster ended up naming the town Italy in 1880 because the climate was much like that found in, quote, sunny Italy. <laughs> the settlers who followed the Acocks found the land particularly suitable for growing cotton, corn, sweet potatoes, and wheat. A little over 10 years later, in December of 1890, the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad reached town. The following year, the town incorporated and printed its first newspaper. The arrival of the railroad made Italy an important market town in the area, and the population steadily grew. There were 1,000 people in the town in 1900 and 1500 in 1925. Like so many other small towns, Italy was hit hard by the Great Depression and went on a decline that would last even after the rest of the country had recovered. It wasn't until the 1970s that the town began to grow, and it only reached 2,000 citizens by the year 2000. So, if you're, I'm going to stop and say this. If you're driving through Italy, Texas, you will notice on the side of the road all of these concrete domes that are built out there. There's a company out there that makes monolithic domes, and they've actually, there's a big uh, warehouse that looks like a giant, giant concrete caterpillar, uh, and there is a... a it was a gas station. I'm not sure if it's still in business or not. That was a concrete dome made to look like a uh, non-trademark infringing version of a Starship. Um, <laughs> Starship Enterprise. It, it looks it's like it's closed. It's been closed for a couple of years. It's been closed for a few years, but it's still there because it's made of concrete. So yeah. when uh, the apocalypse comes, it will still be there. <laughs> it would be somebody's fortress. So you know, 
Keep your eye out for that. Another yeah, bit and of I, Italy color. Yeah, and our good friend uh, from college, Celeste, is from Italy. Yeah, quite proud to be from Italy. Hello, Celeste. Now another town that only Texans seem to know how to pronounce properly is Palestine. Not Palestine. Pal- not Palestine. And that's this. <laughs> ca- and that's the Anderson County seat. Much like Athens, it was not named for the foreign location, but for another city in America, Palestine, Illinois. Palestine is known for its beautiful dogwoods, as well as 1,800 historical sites on the National Register of Historic Places. <laughs> oh. Yeah, 1,800 in one town. <laughs> in one town. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. Another piece of history, though, uh, is that it's the western terminus for the Texas State Railroad, a steam and diesel railroad museum that runs from Palestine to Rusk. Palestine was created in 1846 by the Texas legislature to serve as the county seat for Anderson. The Anderson County Commissioners hired three men to survey the land and lay out a town site which would have a central courthouse square and 24 surrounding blocks. A trading post had existed in the area since 1843, but there was no other significant civilization. It quickly grew after the arrival of the railroad in the 1870s and already had a population of over 10,000 by 1898. Palestine is the home of the NASA Columbia Scientific Balloon Facility. I did not know this. You never saw so many balloons. Yeah, so the facility was founded in Boulder, Colorado in 1961, but it moved to Palestine in January 1973. 30 years later, Palestine and several other East Texas cities would be the impact sites for much of the debris that fell from the breakup of the Space Shuttle Columbia. It was actually Palestine's Columbia uh, Palestine's balloon facility was the closest facility to the crash site. In February 2006, three years after the disaster, the fil- the facility was given its current name to honor the crew of the Columbia. Well, here's the thing about Palestine, and I, and I had uh, somebody who told me the story that he uh, he was talking to somebody not from Texas and was saying, yeah, in college I had, you know, a couple of roommates uh, from, from Palestine, and, and they were like, oh, wow, that's a long way, and they're like, not that far from Marshall. <laughs> it's all relative geography in texas folks that's what we're saying there are important towns and cities that have faded into history around the world um, but they still exist and are very vital in texas such as troy site of the uh, trojan war homeric very homeric So, Troy is located in Bell County, but unlike most of the towns we've discussed, it is not the county seat. It was established around a station of the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad in 1882. It took the place of an older village that was about two miles north, which was then called Old Troy. Very creative. Some occupants of Old Troy refused to move, and the two cities coexisted for some time. New Troy eventually became the only Troy, and by 1884, it had 250 citizens, a post office, two churches, a cotton gin and mill, three saloons, and a hotel. In 1892, the Troy Enterprise, a weekly newspaper, was founded. By 1900, the population had risen to 500, and in 1903, it had the largest school district in all of Bell County, with a whopping 171 pupils and four teachers. Troy remained a shipping hub for cotton, livestock, and other agricultural products in the region. By the 1930s, it began to decline and went from about 450 citizens 
to an all-time low of only 219. It remained at about this level until the 1960s, and when it finally incorporated in 1964, it only had 275 residents. It's amazing that it took that long to be officially incorporated as a town. We're finally made it, everyone. Yeah. And it grew rapidly after that, climbing to a peak of 1,581 in 1988. It's soon after this that the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl, and for a time, the city renamed itself Troy Aikman after the quarterback. Welcome to Troy Aikman, Texas. Would you like a hamburger? (laughs) Another city of ancients, perched upon the greatness of the world, Carthage. Now, if you're a fan of the movie Patton, you too can visit Carthage, another ancient city that lives on in Texas. Carthage is the county seat of Panola County. It's located near the Louisiana border, about 150 miles southeast of Dallas. Like many other cities at the time, Carthage came into being due to the law passed by the Texas legislature that said you have to have a county seat at the center of every county. Jonathan Anderson, who owned the proposed site, donated 100 acres. Now, the town was named Carthage, but like so many other Texas towns, it wasn't actually named after the famous historical city, but actually after Carthage, Mississippi. The town... I'm sensing a pattern. Yeah, there, there's a pattern here of... Uh, of <laughs> Uncreativeness. Uncreativeness. Now, the town was laid out in 1848, and a post office was established in 1849. A courthouse made of peeled pine logs and financed by the sale of town plots was also completed that year. In 1853, the courthouse was replaced with a brick structure, and the new courthouse became overcrowded, so they built another courthouse in a more gothic style of the period, and that was finished in 1885. 1885? We've got to go back, buddy! We've got to go back to the courthouse! The clock tower! I I hope it has a giant clock tower on it. This courthouse was then replaced by a new brick structure in 1953. The old courthouse was auctioned off, and a public park named after the man who donated the land to found the town, Jonathan Anderson, was created in 1956. Carthage, you might not know, is the home to the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame, which also houses the Tex Ritter Museum. Uh, You can also visit the old Panola County Jail Museum and the Panola County Heritage Museum. So, it's essentially a town of museums. Carthage achieved fame in 2011 when the movie Bernie was released. And we talked a whole bunch about this back in episode 122. So go check it out. It's full of small town shenanigans, deceit, and murder. (laughs) Murder most foul. Now, one more quickie I do want to throw in as a hat tip to all of my people is Chesterhova. Czestochowa is uh, named for, of course, the famous Polish city of Czestochowa, which is spelled differently because <laughs> that's how we roll. But there's actually was a is a very old town and community. There was a fort, uh, Spanish Presidio, that was built there in 1734. And as we talked about in the uh, episode when the Poles came, it's only about five miles from Panna Maria. And there's a gorgeous church there. Uh, in a really pretty, you know, it's a pretty area. So it's it's pretty small town nowadays, but uh, there's only about 110 people that live there. But it's right near Fall City. Go Beavers! <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are a couple of other places around the world in Texas, and a couple of other towns. Uh, there's 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 Corinth, 
uh, or Corinth, as some people call it. I believe it's called pronounced Corinth in Texas, but it's Corinth in Greece. Um, there is, of course, Odessa, Texas, which is in out far west Texas, and its sister city is Odessa, Russia, or o- actually Odessa, Ukraine now. Um, there is also um, there is a town called Nevada, uh, which is Nevada, but Nevada is out there near uh, just past Wiley, uh, past Lake Levon, and up here in Dallas area. Oh, and, and of course, there's the town of Naples, Texas. Probably named for Naples, Florida, though. Yeah, exactly. If you like your cheese, there's a Munster, <laughs> Texas. And it is named after Munster, which is in West, Westphalia. So you can you can travel around the world in Texas just without even leaving the state. Wow. Yep. But why would you want to leave Texas? Yeah. Now, I'm going to say this is uh, the research for the bulk of this episode was done by a friend of the show, James Abendroth. And uh, he wanted to make special note of what amused him was the uh, uh, the Eiffel Tower wars uh, between Paris, Texas, and Paris, Tennessee, that was completely um, made irrelevant by the building of the Eiffel Tower replica in Las Vegas. So, thought that was amusing. And he also had uh, a bright memory as a child of visiting the uh, dinosaur gardens in. Uh, Moscow, Texas, which, um, interestingly enough, he had trouble finding the current uh, status of those dinosaurs. So I'm glad I was able to close that and solve that mystery for him. History's mysteries on come and take it. I I found it funny that that every nearly every one of these towns was either named after another town or uh, it was attempted to be named after Sam Houston or, or some other town name and someone else had it. And it's like, that's kind of the reason in Texas why we have these a lot of these weird names is like Dime Box and Buck Tussle and Uncertain Texas. Don't forget cut about and Cut and Shoot Texas. Yeah, Gun Barrel City. Like, well, he, you know, uh, it, while Sam Houston probably would have loved a law that would let every town name itself Houston... Um, there, there. You know, this the state would not get post offices to mo- multiple Houston towns. So, well, it kind of it's ironic that Houston is like this big sprawling mass of many cities that are all sort of. Because you ask somebody where are you from, and they'll say Houston, and they go, "What part?" And they, go, <laughs> Katie, <laughs> from Katie. Oh, me. Uh, I'm, I'm from Spring. From... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you could be like Scott and say, "I'm from Texas City," and they'll go, "That's not a real place." <laughs> well, we love Texas, warts and all, with your crazy names. So, yeah. um, whether you're from Palestine or Italy, uh, <laughs> we hope that you've enjoyed our, our little tour around the world tour of Texas. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. Special thanks to our good friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write yet another episode of Come and Take It. You can find him on Twitter at Blackguard Press, and you can find his fiction work at BlackguardPress.com. Now, if you love Texas, or just towns with funny names, get out there and help us by telling your friends, and please leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, 
please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway, and so does Italy.